Today on Ag News Daily. That kind of works like little chemical scissors. So the RNA can be applied to the outside of the plant. And then once it gets into the inside, into the cells, it kind of rallies the plant's immune system. Good afternoon and happy Tech Tuesday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell on this cold, cold Tuesday. It certainly is cold, Ashton. I am glad you're talking about weather. I've got Eric Snodgrass's daily weather forecast pulled up right now in my email. And uh, near term here, he's not expecting the cold front to break quite yet. He said that... It's going to be pushing east today, so you're getting cold right now. It's going to be pushed towards me. Super excited about that one, Ashton. But he also said that we could expect to see some cold rain, sleet, and even ice and snow anywhere from Kansas through Ohio. But thankfully, snow should melt away pretty fast as, you know, we had a little bit of snow yesterday in central Iowa. It did push through pretty quickly. But uh, Tuesday and Wednesday... We could again see some freeze warnings in the plains and some frost advisories for the Midwest. So certainly not great outlook as you look at folks trying to get into the fields and get planting. Ashton, I've also got some planting progress numbers here, if you don't mind if I jump through those as well real fast. Go right ahead. Well, before I do that, I just want to put a little caveat in here because I've started to talk to some farmers and I know we talked to Eric just last week about the kind of three potential situations we could see for the summer as far as where the meridian lines uh, fall and what we see as far as rainfall and moisture throughout this year. But some of the farmers I've talked to, especially the ones here around central and eastern Iowa, have shared with me, I'm curious folks to see if you're hearing and seeing the same thing, but they've shared that even the subsoil moisture is not not doing so well. We could really use some rain. And so I think as we get into planting here, we're even seeing some folks up in like the Dakota areas having some difficulties getting planted right now. And we are certainly seeing that reflected on the crop progress reports, which of course we had one released just yesterday. And for the 18 states surveyed, we gained just 4% of corn planted across those 18 states. Saw some pretty significant jumps in Illinois, sitting about 12% planted now. We also saw some pretty significant jumps in Kansas, as well as Kentucky and some of our other southern states. As far as the Midwest goes, still sitting pretty low as far as plantings go. And not a lot of planters have been rolling for one from what I've seen in the fields, Ashton. I don't know if you've seen much down there. No, I really haven't seen much. I was just talking to Brent Carlson, who is the co-host on the Dryline Farmer podcast, also on the Global Ag Network. And he was kind of getting ready, but isn't quite in the fields just yet. And honestly, he's the only person that I've talked to that's kind of gearing up just yet. But as we're getting closer to those summer months, I suspect that we'll hear a lot more, you know, from folks up in your area, Delaney, and, you know, down here as we're getting ready for cotton in Lubbock. Yeah, absolutely. But it's going to be an interesting year, that's for sure. I definitely agree there, Delaney. But moving on along down the pipeline, I've got some vaccine news. 
Tyson Foods has announced that they're allowing their U.S. employees and their family members to receive COVID-19 vaccines. This is just a small update as we're seeing more and more people become eligible for the vaccines. In fact, President Biden directed states to widen the vaccine eligibility to people 18 or older by April 19th. So folks, sounds like if you are wanting to get vaccinated, you can be vaccinated just in time for summer. Well, I won't be uh, signing up to get vaccinated quite yet. I think it's still too soon for me to feel super comfortable with it, but that is certainly exciting. And it's exciting because it means the country is reopening. Folks are getting back out there. They're spending their hard-earned dollar. They're eating some protein. And uh, I just personally am excited for the economy to reopen as well as businesses and restaurants and whatnot to fully reopen. So go get vaccinated, folks, if that's something you're into. But as we are looking at the economy, not only here in the United States, but also worldwide reopening, China is having a hard time as their economy is trying to reopen because they're continuing to deal with African swine fever resurgence. But that's good news, has been good news for the United States, because we saw China's pork imports jump to an all-time high in March, according to some of their first quarter data. We saw inbound shipments of pork increased about 16% from the year prior, again, pointing to the fact that China's News or confirmation that they're back at pre-ASF levels just certainly cannot possibly be the case unless they are just eating that much pork and their consumers are just that excited and that hungry to eat pork. But I highly, highly, highly doubt that that is the case. Well, Delaney, for this next story, I guess I should have mentioned it when you were talking about crop progress there, because as we're preparing for planting season and then as we're, you know, going into growing season, I think this will definitely be a big concern for producers. It's been reported that glyphosate and some other ag chemicals are kind of getting low in supply. In fact, Eric Bershback, who is from AgSite Crop Consulting in Verona, Wisconsin, says that he talked to commercial ag chemical suppliers last week. And one of those that he talked to said that his Roundup order was cut by 75%. And then another individual that he spoke with said that the generic Roundup is gone and not in their warehouse, not in supply at all. And as we're, of course, getting ready for growing season, this could be a pretty big concern for producers. So I just kind of want to put that out there. And agronomists are recommending if farmers are offered delivery of ag chemicals that they should accept now because there might not be another chance to get what they need before growing season. Actually, I tell you what. Every time we talk about these stories, the wires are just all kind of starting to align there for a really exciting crop year this year. Really exciting as far as commodity markets are concerned as well. I wanted to mention this other story here, and I'm just about tapped out of news for today. But as we're talking about weather, as we're talking about commodities and concerns and issues going on for this growing season, Brazil's second corn crop, the Safrina corn crop, is suffering from quite a bit of dryness, it sounds like, in states like Mato Grosso do Sul, Paraná, and Sao Paulo, where weather has been pretty hot and dry since the end of March. I believe Eric and we talked about it last week as well, but AgRoll has just now recently reduced their forecast for the Safrina corn crop down to about 80.1 million metric tons. 
And uh, simultaneously, we're watching here to Brazil to finish up their soybean harvest. They're now sitting at about 91% complete. Haven't heard too much news as far as the condition of that crop, but certainly, certainly some exciting, exciting pieces of information, you know, coupled with the potential that we do have a hot and dry summer here in the United States could really push commodity markets to some really exciting levels this summer. I'm trying not to get too bullish and too excited about it, but I'm certainly excited watching these markets. Well, Delaney, before we see where the markets ended for today, I just have one more story to tell. And I think that it's pretty timely since today is Tech Tuesday. This might have to be just another interview that we set up because it's quite interesting. Scientists at the Kansas Polymer Research Center have invented a new kind of battery that's more eco-friendly and just serves as another industry or another outlet for, surprisingly, our U.S. soy producers. The leader of this research project, Associate Professor of Chemistry Ram Gupta, and his team have been working on a battery that is made up of soy biomass, of all things. And I think it's really interesting that they're working on batteries, but demand for batteries is surprisingly growing rapidly, about 10 to 12% annually, and what has become a $100 billion industry globally. I mean, we're using laptops and phones, and even our cars have batteries. So it kind of, you know, makes sense that this demand is so large. And I'm not going to go too in depth on the technology side because I am no scientist. But the goal of this research project is to produce a dual carbon battery with both of those electrodes made of biomass instead of just one, and to achieve a more efficient battery that can be used in the automobile industry that charges in about 10 to 15 minutes instead of a few hours. I am kind of excited about this new opportunity, and I kind of want to you know, reach out to Gupta to see if he would be interested in coming on the podcast and talking a little bit more about how the soy industry is really playing part in this new opportunity. That is certainly interesting. We'll have to see if we can schedule that, line that interview right up, Ashton. But uh, I'm certainly more excited about the commodity markets today. What do you say? You going to let me get through these here? Let's do it. I say I'm super excited because we've put in now some eight-year highs in corn and soybeans both. We've now broken through $6 and held steady here. New crop corn is looking really positive as well. And so are soybeans and even into the wheat market here. So it's a great time to be a row crop farmer, not such a great time to be a livestock farmer if you haven't locked in some of those feed needs yet. But we'll get to those livestock prices here in just a moment. But Ashton, in the meantime, let's run through grains today because they certainly had an exciting Tuesday. The May corn contract up 14 and three quarters cents to close at $6, six cents and three quarters of a cent. December new crop corn end of the day at 528 up eight cents from the day prior. And in soybeans today, big moves to the upside as the May contract added 22 cents to close at 1471 and three quarters to November up 15 and a quarter to close at 1299 and a quarter. Chicago wheat higher today as well, with the May contract adding seven and a half cents to goals at six fifty nine and three quarters. The July up seven and three quarters cents to goals at six sixty one and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets, they had a little bit of a turnaround today after selling off, I believe, about eight sessions worth, as Jim mentioned yesterday. 
we saw a little greed on the screen today. June live cattle up 60 cents to close at 119.20. The August up 75 cents to close at 119.40. And now in feeder cattle, they also had some green as the May contract added 30 cents to close at 142.77 and a half. The August up $1.75 to close at 154.52 and a half. And in lean hogs today, certainly higher, definitely supported by Chinese imports, as we talked about a little bit earlier on here. We've seen massive Chinese imports of not just U.S. pork, of course, but other countries as well. But that has definitely been holding markets firm. Mailing hogs closed $2.42.5 higher today to end at 108.07.5. The June up $2.02 to close at 106.35. And lastly, wrapping up our markets with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. All markets positive today as the May contract closed 16 cents higher to end at 19.32. The June up 20 cents to close at 19.30. Just a good day all around Ashton in the markets and a good day when we turn it over here to our conversation for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday to talk about crop vaccines. Today on this wonderful Tech Tuesday, we are talking to Dr. Carol Burton, who is a clinical embryologist. Carol, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Thank you for having me. So Carol, I guess we'll just go ahead and get right into it. I mentioned last week on the podcast an article that you had actually written that was published on Ag Daily talking about crop vaccines. And when we're talking about crop vaccines, I think it's really interesting. And the United Nations, as you said in your article, declared 2020 as the year of plant health. So when we're talking about plant health, what exactly are we kind of looking at? Yeah, so I think as climate change um, changes our you know, environment and different pests become more active or activated, um, or they even jump around between species, or they're able to, you know, extend the um, their footprint, so to speak, by um, moving with the climate as the climate warms. Um, it, this is kind of at the forefront of everybody's mind, um, particularly with obviously the coronavirus pandemic and the development of vaccines now, how it's become so fast and efficient and um, how helpful they are for, for people and for society. So it's kind of natural to sort of turn our attention to plants and start to think along the same lines of if we can um, harness the immune system of people and vaccinate people against pandemics, can we do the same for plants? So Carol, walk us through how a vaccine for a plant would work, because obviously when we get the COVID-19 vaccine or a flu shot, we're getting a shot injected into our arm and our veins and whatnot that filters through our system. How would that work on the crop side of things? We're going to give plants shots. <laughs> so it's it's actually so super interesting, but um and, and there's actually some techniques that are being developed for humans that where we won't have to have a shot, where they'll be using nanotechnology and patches on the outside of our skin to deliver vaccines for us as well. But in plants, yeah, we wouldn't give them a shot. But what we are, what, what they are developing are RNA-based sprays that get absorbed directly through the leaves themselves. 
So applied much like a pesticide or a fertilizer, but to the leaves of plants and um, able to be absorbed directly into the plant rather than the older method, which was to genetically engineer the plant. So this, this is kind of a newer method where um, we don't have to tinker with the plant's genome. So Carol, I guess I just want a little bit more kind of clarification. I mean, you're saying that this technology is like a spray, like it would be a pesticide. So exactly how is, you know, using a pesticide and using a crop vaccine, how is that really different? Yeah, so in the, when when you use a, um, a pesticide, it's only good for, you know, that application and it typically works on the outside of the plant, except for when we started genetically engineering the plants and then we're providing the pesticide inside of the plant. Um, the vaccines are kind of working in a very similar way, except that they're harnessing the plant's own immune system. And so the plant immune system, it, it actually has two parts very similar to our immune system. It has the part that has evolved over the long you know, term to fight off um, bacteria, nematodes, aphids, and different fungi. And there's, so there's really different, two different parts to it. There's the part that works on um, the outside of the cell, and there's the part that works on the inside of the cell. And so we can kind of think of it like a lock and key on the outside of the cell. And then the one on the inside of the cell that's in the like the, you know, where all of the organelles of the plant cell are, that kind of works like little chemical scissors. So the RNA can be applied to the outside of the plant. And then once it gets into the inside, into the cells, it kind of rallies the plant's immune system. So rather than directly fighting off, you know, like, like, for example, I'm thinking about the BT protein, instead of directly fighting off the quote unquote invader, it is actually activating the plant's immune system so that the plant can do it itself. So Carol, as you look at these crop vaccines, how how does it work uh, or how would it work if and when we see a vaccine rolled out, but then that crop starts to build resistance to it? Is that a concern? Is that something that could happen when you're developing these vaccines? Yeah, I think I think that's always a concern um, with any new technology or even just with like regular evolution itself, right? Let's take technology out of the picture entirely. Uh, that's kind of exactly what happens with animals and plants and pathogens. We're in an arms race between our immune system 